This is the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Matt, you and Sean Iguano saw two of the same football games in person, a high school game and a college game this week. What, what were your takeaways? <laughs> well, the uh, high school game was, was certainly more competitive. Um, uh, weather delay, uh, which was unexpected, you know, didn't, didn't start for like uh, about an hour and 20 minutes after it was supposed to. Um, but, you know, two... Two really good teams, uh, rematch of last year's Open Division Final, and it was a good game. And then, yeah, the ASU game uh, was one really good team. Uh, you know, Utah looked looked as, as, you know, up to the billing as they were supposed to be. And, um, you know, I think both of us said last week we thought, you know, emotion might make it interesting, and it, it did not. Like that, you needed to get off to a good start. And 14 nothing after the first three possessions for Utah, that, that was out the window pretty quick. Yeah, the number 13 Utes came into Sun Devil Stadium and won by three touchdowns, 34-13. to 13. Uh, it's, Should have been more as, than that. As, I say, as, as hard as it is to imagine, that is closer than the game actually was. So the Devils uh, were unable to muster that emotional outcome. Matt, it was cam rising show and uh the game actually you know asu made it look better with a touchdown with two yeah. minutes to go a cosmetic touchdown yeah and got a and got a fourth down stop in the in the fourth quarter fourth and goal um it, you know so yeah it, it easily could have been more lopsided than it was um you know utah looked very good they they got after the the passer you know it was emory jones and that's something i suppose we could talk about is you know is there any any thought at any point this year, or not yet by any means, but uh, you know, at any point this year of, of making a QB change, nothing against Emory Jones. He's, he's fine, but he's just, you know, uh, I mean, what, what is he really? Um, he doesn't elevate anybody. Um, but well, I don't know that not, anybody could, he's to not be honest. running. It's, you know, right. It's, right. Look, Valaday has 60 carries for nearly 400 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem is you can't hand him the ball every play. And, no, no. And there is, and we don't have the offensive line yeah. to be successful doing that, even if you wanted to. You know, like I mean, if if teams figure out all we could do is run the ball, they'll load up and stop the run and, and do it fairly easily. Yeah, Jones on the season passing sixty six for of one ten for eight hundred and eighteen yards, three TDs, two picks, pedestrian. A very, a very, that's exactly the word I was going to use. I mean, it's not bad. Um, he's not losing us games by any means. You know, it's not a, it's not a Stephen three situation where he's throwing five picks and four in the second half of a close game. And it's like, man, you know, you are, you are costing us a chance to win the game. No, you know, I mean, he's, he's fine. Um, but this team would need a, you know, a, a truly elite quarterback, I think to, you know, be any better than they are. And, you know, and even then, I mean, if you, if you put, you know, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud on this team, I'm not sure they'd be that much better because there's just not, there's not a ton of uh, support around them. So I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, I guess there's a thought maybe late in the year that do you, you know, if things continue to go south, as I think they will, um, see what you, you know, have with would, Borgay would you, and Tyson. Well, or or would you see with with? I mean, I guess I'd be more inclined to to be about Finn Collins. I mean, mm -hmm. he's the he's the young guy, or Macklemore, I suppose. I guess he got some you know some decent buzz in in fall practice. Like, I mean, I think we know what we have with Borgay and Paul Tyson, and what we have is not much. I mean, like if they were good enough to be starters, then Emory Jones wouldn't be here. So, I mean, that's my only thought is maybe, you know, by the time November rolls around, do you turn it over to one of the young guys just to just to see, you know, just to see, like, do you have a, a hidden gem there or do you need to very likely, and I think this is the end result, go get your, you know, quarterback on the open market, basically. Yeah, I, you know, maybe it's a hiring thing. You know, could you, sure get, could you get if you picked up, you know, the offensive coordinator from Oregon, could you get one of those guys to come with him? Possibly, yeah. You know, yeah, or something it, like it's that. It's not going to yeah. be Oklahoma I mean, where you're going to have a top-five team and you're going to take all of their skill position players with you. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But, I mean, 
Yeah, depending on who you hire, maybe somebody follows them. I mean, now, am I right that Emory Jones does not have multiple years left, right? This is it? Or, or could he be back next year? I don't know. It's I so believe, hard to follow. I believe this is it, but the kid at Boise who announced he's transferring it has two more years of eligibility left, and he's been a four-year starter. I don't understand and, that. And feels like he's been there since, you know, Dirk Cutter was the coach. I mean, he, he has been there forever. So uh, I'm looking... He did not play a ton of games, but played in 18, 19, 20, 21, and now 22. Yeah. So even if we say that 20 is a free year, okay, I'm looking. He played four games he's in 2018. He's technically a junior. I'm, he's technically he's a, junior? a junior, according to ESPN. See, I thought 2018 was before they put in the four-game rule, or was that the first year that four games you could redshirt? That might be. That's the, the thing I'm confused by. Well, yeah, because so 2020 is a free year, but this would be his fifth year playing college football. So I mean, but I guess if 2018 counts as his redshirt year, yeah, ASU has him as a redshirt junior too. So he'll be back next now, season potentially. God knows if he'll be back. I mean, he's he's a graduate, so he could leave. He could leave and, and play right away somewhere else, couldn't he? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like you know, that's the thing. And, you know, I saw that Colorado, who, you know, is probably the only team that might be at our level, um, you know, went to their true freshman. And I thought, you know, like, God, I don't know that we've really got an option. You know, like, I mean, I, I hate to trot Emory Jones out there for 12 games, knowing he's probably not the future, but I don't know that the future is here. So, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, it could be uh, Finn Collins. The, the thing that's interesting to me is it's only Tuesday night. We've played four games. Does anyone leave now? You know, yeah, that's a good point. Is this although the, although now you can't, right? I mean, you can't enter the portal. Didn't they? Didn't they change that? But you could guys leave who entered the, the portal team, after September first. But you could leave you could, the team. You could leave the program. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But they made guys pull out of the portal that that entered after September one, I believe. Yeah, but I'm just you know. That's true, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You, I suppose if you've played four games already, uh, you could, you know, take advantage of that. It seems like that rule's emphasis is less so now with the immediate eligibility. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't hear about that much at all anymore because it's like, well, you can go anywhere you want, play wherever. And, you know, with the 2020 year still factoring for, for many guys, like they already got a free year anyway, so... But that's a good point. I suppose it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, we're only a 26-point dog to USC <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, so. and, I mean, you know, I know USC did not have, play great last week, but they that was a difficult spot at Oregon State, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they got the win. And so, I, uh, yeah, I think USC is going to have their way with us. Um, I mean, we could talk a little more about the Utah game. I suppose I don't want to you know, totally brush past it, but, but there isn't, there, there also just isn't that much to say. Like, it's not a game that we can really like say, well, it turned here. I mean, it, it basically turned when turned. Utah showed up. It, it turned when Utah showed up and it certainly turned, you know, I mean, Utah scored on its second possession on a, on a really nice play call, a flea flicker touchdown pass. They got the ball back after another three and out. And, and I thought, you know, they go down and score here this game's over. And they did. They had a methodical drive, scored another touchdown, and it was like, that's it, man. I mean, the air was out of the balloon. There was there was zero hope from that point on. Yeah, and in fact, the game was over. So It was, yeah. I mean, it just was like, you know, that's that's it, and it was kind of going through the motions from that point on. Um, you know, the one, the one uh, I guess, quasi-bright spot, I'd say, of the offense, uh, in addition to Valaday, I shouldn't diminish him. He's been good, but Elijah Badger has been pretty solid. You know, he's far and away the most productive receiver. And it's like, all right, finally, we're seeing something out of him. Through four games, 22 catches, nearly 300 yards, and a touchdown. Pretty solid. Pretty good. Pretty good, yeah, for a team that really doesn't, you know, pass the ball that well anyway. um, We're only averaging 200 yards passing a game, so. Yeah. You know. That's not great. The fact that he's averaging over 70 a game is impressive. That's not bad, not bad. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's uh, he's been solid. Now, again, you have to you have to you know anything like that. I mean, you say like, well, okay, he'd be a 
you know, he's been solid, and boy, I look forward to seeing him next year. And it's like, ah, who knows? I mean, he, he could be gone next year. Um, uh, there's no way to know that he'll still be here. He could easily transfer elsewhere if he doesn't like the fit or whatever. But, uh, you know, other than that, there just isn't a lot of bright spots. Our defense is very mediocre. Like, they don't, they don't really do anything great. They don't do anything terribly, necessarily. I mean, they were horrible against the run against Eastern Michigan. But, you know, they're just they're just not good. Like, you know, it's easy to just drive the ball methodically and, and you know, get enough on them and, and the offense can't keep up. So, yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of rays of sunshine. Yeah, it's the whole idea, right, that the the defense is bend but don't break, but they break. Right. So I guess they break could... and, and the offense can't, you know, go shot for shot with anybody. I mean, it just, it feels like our offense is, is, you know, designed to win games, you know, 20 to 17. Like, that's, uh, that's not going to be good enough. We uh, have the kicker I mean, for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 spot, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That Carter Brown's a, a pretty good college kicker as a freshman. He has been, yeah, he's looked good. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a bright spot or two, but there's not many. It just feels like, it just feels like a very listless program right now. I mean, you... You made a point last week that I it, it's resonated with me more since we talked that, you know, firing Herm now or whatever it was, firing, quitting, whatever, allows us to at least, you know, officially turn the page and look ahead. And you're right. Um, it, you know, that's that's a good call. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's turning the page for next year and the future, not this year. This year oh, just no. feels like a waste of time. Yeah, this is a a weekly endeavor to see if a surprising thing happens on our way to losing a lot of football games. Yeah, yeah. Can we pull off one, you know, upset of somebody? You know, whether it's Washington at home, whether it's Oregon State, whether, you know, like, just beat Arizona. I mean, that probably would be an upset by the time we get there. I don't know that Arizona is very good, but I mean, we could very well go into that game 1-10. Yeah. I, I, you know, Colorado's awful. Awful, awful, awful. And yet, I'm sure if you're Colorado, you're looking at the schedule and thinking ASU at home at the end of October is, is our best chance to get a win this year. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, you know, ASU is awful, awful, awful. Yeah, awful. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, and it's a home game for them. I mean, I, I texted you, you know, Sunday morning and said, you know, I think, I think Stanford and Colorado are probably the two teams on the schedule that are the most beatable, uh, but they're both road games. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, if you can't muster, uh, you know, the effort to beat Eastern Michigan at home or the effort, well, you know, with the first game of an interim coach to at least keep it competitive for a quarter against Utah, can you go on the road and beat anybody? Yeah. I'm not confident of that. I, you know, we talked about this a little last week and I, and we're going to talk about this a lot more. Sean Aguano, by all accounts, is a good man and a good sure. coach and, and is going to do his best, which I know yeah. is not saying a lot, but considering <laughs> the arguments I made last week that Herm may not have been doing his best, um, right. you know, but this is a rough hand. Oh, God. Yeah. And I, my prediction such as it is, depending on what his wife and kids want to do, is that he will be offered the opportunity to stay. Yeah. And he will also be offered an opportunity to join Timmy Chang's staff at Hawaii. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I well, can see I mean, that. he's from Hawaii, yeah. but he's he yeah. oh, yeah. Arizona. His family ties are all there. And I think, like, I don't think he's done coaching. Like, I don't think this, you don't make a guy the interim head coach if he's, like, done, done. Unless it's, like, Barry Alvarez for a bowl game or Bob Stoops for a bowl game. Sure, sure. But, you know, this ain't it, man. They came out on an arm. He's trying to recruit locally. He's trying to muster support. I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, it's not him. and And I wanted to talk about this. So, Matt, you are, I believe, an objective person to ask this question to. 
what right. is the most iconic ASU football image of the last 30 years? It's oh, it's in being a, Nebraska. I, I'm talking about a a photo image, a you know the one shot. Mm. We use it on everything. I think isn't it Keith Pool Arizona game? Where it he, could be. It could be. Yes, I was. So I, I know he also had a touchdown in that Nebraska game. Um, but yeah, the Arizona game photo where he yeah, like yeah, extends I mean, his hands and there's McAllister, and he's yeah, you know. And Keith Poole has stayed moderately relevant around Arizona State football this whole time. Yeah. He's a, he yeah. does training in the greater Phoenix area. He is not shy about his opinions. You know, he's not Rudy Carpenter about his opinions, but he says what he's going to say. <laughs> yeah. I So I saw him say on Twitter, it should be a guano. He's one of the best guys in the business, and he is going to try, and he loves Arizona, and we don't want ASU to become a stepping stone. Um, and I I respect his opinion, and he has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But as a fan, I disagree. I, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm you know, with you. A 51-year-old running backs coach who it is basically the description you gave me is a tryhard. And there's a place in all sports at all levels for a tryhard. But I'd rather take my chances on a young up and comer. You know, I, I, I am mindful of your comment about, did we miss Deion Sanders by not firing Herm last year? I think we might've, I think so too. Because Georgia Tech's open now, and that's certainly right in his backyard. And Auburn very well might be open, and that's in the backyard. And, well, it's like, and yeah, you yeah, know that there's Georgia... going to be opportunities for him much closer to home for him. Well, and you know that Georgia Tech would love to make a big splash and be like, "Yeah, we are pivoting away from the option." And oh, sure, we're going to be sure. You know, and he'd recruit Atlanta. I mean, he's a, he's you know he's still a legend in Atlanta. Um, I mean, yeah, I would, he, would he win big there? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough place, but anyway, yes. I mean, you know, I agree. I think we have missed the window with him. Uh, you take a chance, you call him and see. Oh yeah. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the argument that Sean Aguano is a good guy, I, like, I hate to sound harsh here. I hate to sound like, I don't care. If he's a good guy, that's yeah. great that he's a good guy. And if I, I was inviting him over for dinner, I'd want him to be a good guy. But I'm not. Well, like, and it's I, like you know, Bill Belichick Nick is an, Nick Saban's not a nice guy, yeah. but he's a great coach. Yeah, Belichick is a horrible guy. Yeah, you know, you know I mean, now, now when we say horrible, like I don't think you know, I don't think either one of them are you know uh, serial killers or anything. But no, like, but they are prickly and rude you know, and self, you know. So self assured and cocky. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, Urban Meyer, uh, you know, Dabo, like all these guys, you know, like they're, they're, you know, I mean, Dabo does it differently. Dabo does it in kind of that down home, ah, uh, shucks way. But Dabo's arrogant. There's no doubt he's arrogant. Uh, you know, I mean, Urban Meyer is extremely arrogant. Like, but you know what they all have in common? Multiple national championships. So I don't mm-hmm. want to hire a nice guy. Herm was a nice guy. Yeah. Her, her, you know, everybody loves Herm. Herm, oh, yeah, you know, I just want to have him over and, and just talk ball with Herm and go out and go fishing with Herm. And, and that's you know all what? well and good. That probably would but be that fun. didn't result in anything. Yeah. That, going fishing or talking football with <laughs> Herm Edwards would probably be a fun activity. Absolutely would. Yeah, but, I think Herm is a nice guy. But he didn't get it done here. Yeah, but... Coaching collegiate football is not for him. No, know? and and so you know, I mean, like I I agree. Aguano is absolutely dealt a rough hand, and he may very well go zero and nine. I mean, I think that is a hundred percent in play, and I hope for his sake and for our sake as fans that doesn't happen. I hope he can pull off a win or two, just you know, to leave with his head held high if he chooses to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, no, no, I. I completely disagree that it should be him and i very strongly maybe not completely very strongly disagree with this notion that 
we shouldn't be a stepping stone. We talked about this last week. Like, we absolutely should be desiring to be a stepping stone. With where we are right now, the state of this program right now, you tell me I get a guy for the next three, four years, and he does well, and he gets us to a 9-10 win season a couple of times, and then he goes on and, and becomes the coach at you know Texas or LSU or something like that. I'm signing up for that before you can finish the offer. I would 100% take that. It's, you know, I guess the thing, tell me if this is too harsh. You you are my heat check on this. Is taking the interim tag off of Sean Iguano, if we, well, I'll just say, let's say miss a bowl game. Not almost a sure thing, but yes, I'm I'm, I'm on board. But let's say we miss a bowl game. Is taking the interim tag off of Iguano as close to a formal acknowledgement as possible that we just don't care about football as a school? Well, I and, think and it would just, be... Because we're going to cheap that, out. We're, he'd be the cheapest option. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that might be that might be a touch harsh that we don't care, but I think what it would be is an acknowledgement that we're punting the next couple years. Like, we're you know... Where we know the NCAA is just going to hammer us like nobody's business. Nobody else wants this job, so we're gonna we're gonna you know let this guy be the guy for a couple of years, get us through the rough times, and you know in in a very different fashion, but sort of what we did with Tim Esme, uh, which you know the baseball program thrived initially with him, so that's why I say different, but sort of the same idea that like okay, we'll get to the other side of this, and then we'll get ourselves a real coach. That, that, to me, would be what that would say. Yeah. So, basically, it's a, we're not going to pay money to struggle. We're going to struggle gonna either way. We're not going to pay money to fire someone in two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, and, and that, from a financial, you know, decision-maker standpoint, that, there probably might be some logic to that. But I don't think you can do that. I mean, I, I just don't, like... Apathy sets in quick, and it's and it's tough to get people out of the apathy. Um, you know, like they can't be happy with what they've seen the last two weeks. So the last, you know, the fourth quarter of the last two weeks, the stadium is eighty percent empty, and fifty percent of the people that are there, at least for the Utah game, are visiting fans. Um, I mean, it just it's bad. And I know Michael Crow doesn't burn, uh, you know, to be great in football, unfortunately. But he can't ignore the obvious either, and the obvious is this is this is just an ugly situation right now. Yeah. Well, and he did at one point seem to get that money and football kind of go together, and that football right. costs money, but that football also makes money. It does. It does. And, and if, if football gonna... stops making money. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went back and watched the, the broadcast a little bit here and there and you just kind of fast forward it through some parts and, you know, and they were talking, I mean, Pash was the play by play guy and he's, you know, he's, he lives in Phoenix, he, you know, so he's, he's got some, some knowledge of it. And he made the point like, you know, with the expanded playoff coming up, you know, winning the conference is essentially, essentially an auto bid to getting in the playoff. I mean, I know they're not saying auto bids for certain conferences, but with six conference champs, you know, winning the Pac-10, 12, whatever it is, is, you know, so like this is a this is a pivotal moment for anybody in the conference because your path to, you know, at least making the playoff is is there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he said, and it's a little overstated, but maybe it's not. It's, you know, is this the most important hire in the history of the football program? Probably a little overstated if you go back to like when we first entered the Pac-10 and, the, you know. But, but the, the know, most important hire since Bruce Snyder, maybe. Yeah, maybe even more than that. I mean, like Snyder was successful, but I don't know that in 1991, 92, you know, the time frame when he was hired, that it that it felt like that was a pivotal. I mean, we we were just a few years off a Rose Bowl win. Like, you know, all right, you know, uh, you know, like this is the, the program is bottoming out, and and it can only go up. But you've got to hire the right guy to take it up. I mean, you don't want to become Colorado, where it just feels like you're constantly churning. You're constantly bad. Uh, You know, you get a decent coach who leaves after one year. Like that, okay, 
if you want to say stepping stone for somebody who's going to leave after a year, I agree. You don't want that. I want somebody who's going to be here for three or four years and get us back on the right track. Then if he wants to go for where the grass is greener and the money is more, sure. Well, and that's why you, to me, are looking for a young up-and-coming coordinator, first head coaching job. Right. Because you do that and you say, okay, great. Here's the contract. And the terms are an incredible buyout for the first three years. Like an insane amount, like $20 million to buy him out. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have another name more palatable after that. Yeah. I have another name for a potential coach to look at. Yeah. If I'm, I'm not moving off of my dream hire of the 32 year old up and coming coach. Jenny Dillingham. But yes, but what about the Washington State offensive coordinator who was the incarnate world head coach? Washington State's Brock playing. A lo- Ward. Yeah, Washington State's yeah. playing a lot better. This guy's got head coaching experience, granted at a sure. much smaller scale, but he's now sure. having success in the Pac-12. I yeah. don't, I don't yeah. know if he can recruit. I don't know if he can do anything, but I bet we could get him for cheap because he left yeah. the head coaching job to become an offensive coordinator. So, yeah, I mean, that's intriguing. Um, you know, on that same wavelength, I'm thinking of the guy who I think is, he's now at Texas Tech. I believe Zach Kitley is his name. He's the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He was he was at, uh, I think he was at Western Kentucky last year with Bailey Zappi, you know, turned mm-hmm. him, got him drafted. Uh, you know, Texas Tech's off to a good start this year, has a very imaginative offense. Same, same type thing, young guy. You know, kind of like, you know, the, the the world is his oyster type of thing. He's moving up in the world quickly. Uh, yeah, those type of guys are exactly who we should be going after, I think. Yeah, it just... The, and, and those are, when you're strategizing, right, those are the type of guys who you can... Look, you can't dictate all the contract terms to, but you right. can dictate the buyout term and say, look... We're setting this up where if you are successful after three seasons of success, it is palatable for someone to take you. Yeah. But we can't yeah, have yeah, it be palatable I, for I, you to leave after year one or two because if you're building something, we need three years of momentum. We need a stockpile of players. And yes, yes. And then we can – then at that point, I've said this for you know two decades now. You and I have conversed about basketball and football and coaching and – and I've always said, like, get the up-and-comer, let him do really well. He moves on and goes somewhere else, and he leaves a program that's, you know, won nine games and has a nice recruiting base. And then you bring in the guy who maybe maybe wants to use his previous job as a stepping stone to ASU, and maybe he wants to stay. Well, or maybe you he hire hey, the, ASU's you, a place I could be successful for a decade. You hire that guy's coordinator. And, yeah, you know, yeah. It worked you know, at I mean, Boise. Now, I it mean, did. it didn't work at uh, Washington, but it, no, the, the number no. of places where it has worked for programs that are trying to do that is far greater than the number of places where it's failed. If you build yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, again, I said this to you last week. The two notions I am so tired of when it comes to ASU coaching searches is one, we got to get a guy who's been a head coach before, and two, we don't want to be a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I, you know, those those mentalities have dictated a lot about our coaching searches the last twenty years, and none of them have ended well. None of them, not Dirk, not Dennis, not Graham. Graham had some nice moments, but it didn't end well, and certainly not Herm. Mm-hmm. And and like, so what are we doing? Like, why? I mean, why why keep repeating the same mentality? I mean, I you know, I I got nothing against Keith Pool. Uh, you know, I'm sure he. I'm sure he has the best intentions, but come on, man, we are like we'd be lucky right now to be a stepping stone. We, we, I mean, like right now, a, a truly up and coming coaching prospect is probably looking at ASU and thinking, Ugh, pass. Well, you and know? that's the thing like, is, you're, you're probably get the second tier guys of stepping stones. Yeah, I mean, look, you are probably certainly not getting the highest tier coordinators like Jim Leonard you're not going to get him to leave the Wisconsin defensive coordinator job for us definitely not 
You're not getting Todd Munkin from Georgia. I mean, I saw that name on there, and I know he he'd been a head coach before, and he failed, and you know, but like he's he's a hot prospect. You know, he's he's turned the Georgia offense around. He's gotten a lot out of Stetson Bennett. Like, there ain't no way he's leaving that for ASU. He he might leave that for something else this offseason, but he's not leaving it for ASU. No chance. Why would you? No, it, it's you know, you just I think you just kind of look around and you think we either get someone who's like uh, you know Todd Graham of coordinators somebody who's like jumped up a level and then we just grab them one year like no 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 you're the guy we're taking you yeah I mean the Dillingham guy isn't is you know perfect and I did look up while while we were talking just now it is Zach Kitley's 31 years old he was the OC at Houston Baptist for three years, Western Kentucky for a year, and now he's at Texas Tech. Like, I, I don't know if he'd be a good head coach. I have no clue. He hasn't been one. But I'd rather but find I, out. I wouldn't mind finding out. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. If we go 1-11, which is plausible, right? It is. It is. I think 3-9 and nine is, is high-end, best-case scenario from here on. Then you kind of, like, I look at Arizona – and what Fish did, and he inherited a bad team, and he had a bad right. year, and he recruited, 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 and now they're fighting for bowl eligibility. So if that if that can be the patience of the fan base on a on a three four year plan of like we're gonna yeah. be bad this year, we're gonna probably be bad next year, right? But we're gonna be building towards something. We're gonna be building towards something. Okay, like. Yeah, I yeah. Give no, me I, hope, you know. I agree. I agree. Make yeah, me buy and, my ESPN Plus to get the recruiting updates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and that you know, to your point about hey, you know, moving on from Herm allows us to at least have that hope that the future will be brighter. You're right. Um, you know, and that that is the first step because there was always that lingering sort of like. And we think this is Herm's last year. It probably is. But what if they decide to keep him? And then what? And and so that's out the window now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I I absolutely think that you, I don't know. Again, I, I just don't, I just don't get that mentality. I think, I think that's an idealistic mentality to say, you know, we don't want to be a stepping stone. We want to hire somebody who wants to be here and it will be like, again, I said this to you last week. Notre Dame lost its coach to another job. Guy who had been there for a decade, had a lot of success. He left for another job. Oklahoma. Yeah. And went to the playoff, what, three, four times? Won the Big 12 almost every year. Heisman winning quarterbacks. Yeah. Left for another job. So if if Notre Dame and Oklahoma, two of the most historically and current accomplished programs in the country, can lose their coach to another college job, then – you know, having the mentality as an ASU fan that that's just not going to cut it for us. I, I mean, I don't know what you're doing because you're going to end up with another old time washed up Dennis Erickson, Herm Edwards. That's what you're going to end up with. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to rehire Todd Graham. I obviously. Oh God, no, he's radioactive after uh, Hawaii, but yeah. But give me a guy who's high energy and talks about the plan again. You know, yeah. like, look, eventually it became a laughing stock, but while he was building, I know. it wasn't. I agree. And and he delivered on it, sort of. I mean, he didn't, you know, like, we, we didn't win a conference title. Um, you know, I'm not going to, like, overstate how good he was. But year two, year three, we won 10-plus games. We got to a conference championship game. Like, that's the highest of highs that, that you and I have experienced as ASU fans mm-hmm. since 2004. Oh seven, I guess we shared the conference title, but that was very hollow. Um, you know, twenty thirteen is is, as my opinion, the best year we've had of those. You know, now nineteen seasons if you count this one. Um, twenty fourteen wasn't far behind. So you know, Graham did some good things here. It went south. Fifteen mm-hmm. was a big time disappointment. Sixteen was an unmitigated disaster in the second half, and at that point, he was out the door. Just you know killing time through 2017 before he was out the door. Um, but yeah, I mean, would I take how Todd Graham left the program over how Herm Edwards did for sure. I Herm Edwards. I, I don't want to get hyperbolic, 
But okay, this is somewhere. This is trending somewhere between Makovic and Sumlin in terms of just how bare the cupboard is going to be. I mean, it, it could prove to be that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, the win-loss record on the field so far isn't that. Now, mm-hmm. it could be by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, in terms of just like... Ha- now, the difference is the transfer rules. So, both so ways, the patience, both, both ways. Both ways, no doubt, no doubt. But, you know, the, the notion that like, oh, it's going to take... I mean, I had this conversation with my dad, and he's like, you know, well, it's going to... You know, whoever the next coach is is doomed to fail because they're so far behind in recruiting. And yeah, in in the old rules, that's true. I agree. Now you don't have that excuse. You you can go out and mine the the, the portal and get a whole bunch of guys to come in. And, I mean, and and turn it around relatively quickly. And if you don't, then it's on you. Like you don't have to build it with high school kids anymore. No. If you can- and, and they'll be able to offer playing time. Just yeah. about every position. Everywhere but kicker. Okay, that's Carter Brown's job. We're we're, yeah. we're good on kicker. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, as long as he stays. Again, because yeah. you as you said, it goes both ways. Um, and and that is that is the difficult thing. But you know, especially if you're still under the cloud of looming NCA penalties, which you might be. Who knows when that's coming down? Um. You know, the, the best way to get guys in the fold is to get guys who transfer once already. Mm-hmm. They come in, they're here. They're here for maybe one or two or three years, but they want to come in and show off the wares and play in, play in a major conference and nice weather. And, like, I mean, you have things to pitch with your ASU. And, again, playing time is going to be one of them because mm-hmm. there's very few positions that right now look like, you know, well, sorry, we don't have a need there. No, we have mm-hmm. a need just about everywhere in 2023. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of the optimistic, you know, ASU experience, right? Like we could sure. turn it around quick. And and I think firing Herm now or letting Herm resign now or re- relieving Whatever him of was. his coaching yeah. duties, but still paying him to, to be a, you know, administrator. I, I don't right. know. Um, that gave us this opportunity to say, okay, as a fan, I get to look around. I get to think about what Oregon did. I get to think about what Texas Tech did and say, I like that offense. I don't like that offense. I like that (laughs) recruiting. I don't like that recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It does. It, it sort of, if, I mean, it sort of makes the, the cup, half full instead of half empty. I mean, it's, it's really more like 90% empty, but you know, you could, you could talk yourself into it being fuller than it is because yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, there's always that promise of a, of a new day ahead. And now we know that new day is coming and it's just a matter of who we get. But, you know, again, no offense to Sean Aguano, but just a big old no for me. And and I I don't blame him for the effort on Saturday night. I don't. I mean, Not I, I think at all. that'd be foolish. But there was and, nothing I saw Saturday night that made me think, "Oh my God, we got to keep this guy." And uh, there's, no. I I will say this. I and I mean this in sincerity. the The story of he had 170 players and family members and staff come for dinner at the facility and he decided we're not talking football. We're talking about life. We're talking about anything else but football. I think is great because you know what? For most of these guys, football's over. Like this is it. You know, yeah, probably. Yeah. So let's just, you know, let, let's do this and be like, okay, look, something positive is going to come from this season for you guys. I don't know what it is, but we're going to do what we can. Sure. And you know, there's plenty of time for coaching on the field. There's plenty of time for stuff. I I will say this, to the extent that there are guys on the staff, you remember when Doc Benet would coach one game a year from the press box just for fun? Yeah. Uh-huh. To the extent that there are guys who want to do stuff, or if there's a guy who you like believe in, there's an, an analyst who's good, or or some quality control guy who you think has a yeah. future, let let them do stuff, you know? Yeah, I agree. I but, agree, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean... 
And and I guess that sort of goes along with my thought about, you know, the quarterback and, and other positions. Like, you know, we should be getting, especially by the end of the year, if, if things are as bad as they appear that they will be, like we should be getting guys, you know, playing time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, see what you got. You know, like there should be no stone left unturned with what's on the roster so that the next guy knows exactly what he has, Yeah, you know, and knows where he needs to fill holes and knows where, hey, maybe this is a guy at any position that I want to keep. I want to make sure I re-recruit him to stay because he's a piece of the puzzle. Maybe it's Finn Collins. Maybe it's not. It's probably not. Yeah. And nothing against him. It's just, you know, if it was, it would have been. That's, I, I think I mean, so. I think yeah. that's the I mean, same thing with the uh, who's the kid who we just got from uh, Birmingham. The, Bennett something. Bennett the, Meredith. Bennett Meredith. Like yeah, like to me, that's another one of like, hey, when there's three games left. Yeah. Maybe he's playing quarterback. Let's I don't see care. Some play. Yeah. Because, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's probably not Finn Collins because, in all honesty. In today's college football, if you haven't made a move by your second year, you're probably not up to par. Yeah, I, if I it, mean, it's it, just the way it is. That's what I mean. If it if it was Finn Collins, it would already be Finn Collins. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think so. I mean, he might be a decent backup. You know, maybe a uh, maybe this Macklemore kid. He's in his third year, and he apparently took a step forward. And like, all right, that's great. But if anybody showed enough to be the starter, Henry Jones wouldn't have been here. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I, I kind of forgot about him, the true freshman uh, from Alabama. But, yeah, I mean, why not? You know, we, we should see what we have. Because, again, I, I don't necessarily anticipate Emory Jones still being here. I he wouldn't. Could just, I mean, he could easily decide to just hang up the cleats. Like, you know, he's not going to the NFL as yeah. a quarterback. Maybe maybe, maybe change his positions or something. I don't know. But Yeah. No, I, I, you know, and I, I mentioned this last week, and I, and I stick by it. You know, he's letting Glenn Thomas call plays, he, and all that. If Sean Aguano decides that, hey, look, I'm calling plays, fine. You know, sure. show sure. you can call plays or not call plays, but use it as a as an audition for a job somewhere else. Uh, you yeah, know? I mean, yeah. it's yeah. it is effectively to me if I'm Sean Aguano, an offensive coordinator audition yeah i agree probably yeah. not a head yeah, coach I mean, audition i mean maybe not. it is but probably not, a, not. not at a major conference level i mean maybe maybe if he does okay here you know a fcs program or something you know gives him a chance to be a head coach. nau he's the kind of guy who could be the nau coach he could you sure, know sure he knows the local kids which is who you have to recruit at NAU. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I mean, I know when we played NAU, that was a stat. I like, you know, they had like 60 guys from the state of Arizona. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great. And yes, I think ASU does need to do better at recruiting Arizona. That was a big, I mean, even, even when we thought things were trending well with the Hermit words and staff, we did not do a very good job in Arizona. Well, we abandoned and, the state and, uh, you know, the best running back in football at the collegiate level, was here, and we didn't get him, and he had gone... Now, look, I don't think we're ever going to get him, but... Probably not. He had gone on record beforehand as, like, you know, a sophomore and a junior that he preferred ASU to U of A. Right, right. That seems like something where we should have, you know, gone, like, full-on Knicks at the Mavericks, you know? (laughs) Just been (laughs) at every South Point game, you know watched his family do stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, like, you know, we've had this conversation before. I, I don't think that ASU fans enjoy success anymore if, it, if that success is by a bunch of Arizona kids versus a bunch of kids from California, Texas, whatever. Like, you know, Jake Plummer and, and Pat Tillman are probably the two most popular ASU players of the last 50 years. Neither is from Arizona. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think you need that, but there's, I mean, Arizona has really improved in terms of, you know, high school football in the last 20 years. I mean, when we started mm-hmm. college, Arizona high school football was pretty, eh, in you terms of, you know, national level tight ends and it's not from that Mesa. way anymore. You get tight ends from Mesa. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. But I mean, there's good quarterbacks 
you know, the you look at the Power Five starters. There's Arizona kids, you know, sprinkled all over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's just quarterback. Uh, there's good player. I mean, Chandler and Saguaro. Now, I don't know how they determine these rankings, but the game I went to, they're both ranked in the top 30 nationally uh, by Max Preps. Uh, again, how is that determined? I have no idea. But but it seems you know, good. That, that's not something that would have happened 20 years ago. Yeah. So there are good players. There are, you know, I mean, the, the number one quarterback in the country is playing for Chandler. He's not from Arizona. They tra- they moved here. But, you know, for the junior class, uh, I mean, you know, so you you got to do a better job right here in your backyard because the, the talent is there, maybe not to make up the entire core of the team. I'm not saying, you know, oh, you just recruit Arizona, you're fine. No, you got to go get kids from California. You got to get kids from Texas. You got you to gotta be open to anybody. If you do a better job in Arizona, that can be very successful for you now. Whereas maybe, you know, when Dirk Cutter was here, that wasn't the case. Yeah. You don't need just Texas and California. You do need Texas and California. Sure, sure. You know, but but those states are really hard to recruit because everybody wants kids from those states, including, you know, the homeschools. And then, you know, everybody wants, I mean, Alabama goes into texas and california ohio state uh you know so like yeah okay it's great to have you know oh we're gonna do really well in california well everybody wants to do that so so you know like i mean again i know what pierce was trying and you know it looked like it might work and yes he was cheating apparently to do it um well and as we've talked it's about also a little misguided it, it i i want to be clear i don't condone or approve of cheating but if you're going to cheat, win. Yeah. You know? It's got to be successful. I agree. Like, we had ample collegiate football examples of programs that were maybe not totally ab- above board. I look right. at Ole Miss. That's the go-to for you and I. Sure. Like, sure. at least they have moments they do. They do. You know, we don't have moments like that. Not from this group, and we're not going to get it now. I mean, that, the ship has sailed now. So, yeah, that's that's what's so incredibly frustrating about this is that we're probably going to have to take the hit for a group that cheated that didn't give us the highs before the lows. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a different ball game. If you know, I mean, if you're a if you're a Memphis basketball fan. And you got to experience the Calipari years and, you know, a Final Four and a National Championship game. And, you know, uh, and then, okay, yeah, they hit you with some sanctions. And it's like, well, that stinks. But, man, uh, you know, we had a a pretty good run while it was going. Uh, You know, we don't even have that to say. Our highlights are what? Uh, You know, going 8-4 against a soft schedule and losing the Vegas Bowl. Yeah. What we had was the promise and hope in January and February of 2020. That's exactly it. You're what? Yeah, hundred percent the case. I remember, you know, when we talked a few weeks ago when we were together in Austin, and I said, you know, if I had told you this was going to be, you know, Herm's collective record in in you know on January 1st of 2020 after we win that Sun Bowl. I would have been very disappointed. I think just about everybody would have. Because, yeah, it felt like the arrow was only pointing up. And, boy, were we wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a long season. It is. It is. I, I texted you Sunday morning, I believe, and said, you know, it's going to be a long slog through October and November with a lot of losing. And I... I still feel exactly that way. To that end, I would like to ask your opinion about the USC game and the final score. Okay. It's nationally televised. We're on the yeah. road. As I said, we are a 26-point underdog. USC's offense appears to, even when they struggle, do enough, and their defense seems legit. Very opportunistic. They give up a lot of yards, but I think they already have 11 interceptions this year or something like that. It's uh, it's a crazy high amount. Yeah, they are specializing in the turnover. And, and yeah, I mean, the offense really struggled Saturday, but they put together the touchdown drive when they had to have it at the end. And, 
And I think this is a get-right game for their offense, if I had to guess. So I'm picking ASU to score six on two brownfield <laughs> goals. Okay. And that we will lose 35-6. to six. And that you All will right. not see any of the USC ones in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go a little higher scoring both ends, but the margin... Not too much different. I'll, I'll say, I'll say forty-five to fourteen. Ah, you think we find the end zone twice? I do. I do. I, th- I mean, you know, I think first of all, I think it could be sort of a uh, uh, similar type game to Ohio State, Wisconsin. It, it might be twenty-eight to nothing, and then they kind of take their foot off the gas. We put together a couple of drives. You know, they put together. You know, like it, it might be over midway through the second quarter. And then it's just cosmetic what the final score is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think their offense is, I mean, it was humming through the first three games. And and then, you know, going to Corvallis is tough. And I think I think Oregon State's a pretty good team. And they certainly had a good game plan against them. I think this is a week for USC to be like, all right, don't worry about it. We're fine. We're going to, we're going to take full advantage of this week team at home and, and put up some big numbers and, and get ourselves ready for the, for the stretch run here through October and November. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting, bigger picture, Pac-12 football here. The, the, I'll tell you what, conference looks good this year, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it's early, but there's some good teams. Yeah, Utah seems to have figured it out after yeah. the, the yeah. rough loss at Florida, which is redeemable i it believe is, it is yeah no margin for error but but you know at least as far as the playoff goes yeah now they could they could go you know 10 and 2 and win the conference you know drop one conference game and obviously get to the title game if they do probably so that's doable um but yeah i mean utah looks good uh usc we just talked about washington is is maybe the surprise of of the year so far i mean we'll see mm-hmm. if it holds up but they look good. Penix is I mean, good. They put a, he's been really good, and they put a beating on Michigan State. Now I don't know how good Michigan State is. I know they got they got drowned, uh, you know, trounced by by Minnesota last week. Um, but yeah, that was a very impressive win. UCLA's unbeaten. Been a little a little shaky in their unbeaten start, but they're unbeaten. Um, Washington State looks good. Oregon State. Oregon has bounced back from that you know drubbing in week one. Looked pretty good. Like that's seven teams right there. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think I just the six or seven teams that I've rattled off that like, yeah, you know, it's a it's a solid conference. And even you know, Cal doesn't look bad. Cal almost beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. They they ran wild against Arizona last week. So I mean, it, the the depth is there. Hmm. Yeah. Arizona's look better. I mean, I, you know, like their their defense still stinks, but they've got a quarterback and some receivers that at least you know seem to give them a chance to stay in games. Yeah. The the conference is improving, which in this USC leaving, UCLA likely to leave with Yeah, you know, Stanford right there if they don't leave. Right. right. I, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but come on. No, but I agree. I totally agree. So there, it gives me hope for the negotiations. Plus, I think we're going to get a game on Prime or Apple TV, which I will be able to watch, which is fun. The, yeah. I, I saw an interesting point that I I hadn't accounted for in this. Obviously, I, it was from Wilner's timeline. I don't know if it was his idea or if he retweeted yeah. somebody else. But the point was interesting that because the Pac-12 owns Pac-12 Network, we could sell the rights to all of those games tomorrow. Like, Pac-12 Network could be on Amazon or Apple or Peacock tomorrow. That's a good point, yeah, yeah. You know, which makes me think that this offseason, that's going to happen. You're going to see the B games available. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean... You know, it will be the it B was game. Frustrating <laughs> that USC Oregon State was not, you know, I mean that's a good game, and it was mostly not available. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it's stuck on Pac-12 network. Um, that was, that was frustrating. So yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, yeah, I think, you know, week one was, was a little rough, obviously Oregon getting trounced and Utah losing at Florida. It was like, Oh, you know, same old Pac-12, but I, I, yeah, I think, I think the conference looks pretty good. The key is, does somebody, you know, does one or two of these teams keep themselves in the playoff mix into November? You know, does USC or Washington or Utah or whoever, um, you know, factor in that top 10 by mid-November, go Mm -hmm. to the Pac-12 title game, like, hey, if we win this, we could get in the playoff. That would be what the conference really needs this year. You know, somebody that resonates late in the season, maybe all the way into you know, the end of December when the playoff games are played. Yeah, and SC, undefeated, top 10 team right now. They are, they are. If, I mean, if USC and Utah, like if, if Utah beats USC and it's a one-loss Utah versus a one-loss SC for the conference title, I think that you have a pretty solid argument that the winner of that's probably a playoff team. I would say so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I... I I know, you know, Oregon would have a hurdle to clear how badly they lost to Georgia. But if they run the table, uh, you know, you could certainly, I mean, if, especially if Georgia does too or wins the SEC or whatever. I mean, you know, I think Georgia's going to be a factor all year. Like, all right, it's a week one loss. You know, if they've turned it around, I don't think they will. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're going to, but I mean, I think there's, you know, and certainly Washington. I mean, they started off the radar, but if Washington would go 12-1 and one and win the conference, you know, that win over Michigan State's a nice little feather in their cap. Like, why not? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a long way to go, and all these teams, you know, many of them have to play each other. Mm-hmm. USC plays at Utah in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, like, I mean, there's there's plenty of back and forth to, to be determined. But we need, um, a, but we need a top team or two. Like we need what what we can't be is a conference where everyone beats up on everybody. It's not the. I was going to say what you want to avoid is having you know four teams that finish nine and three. Yeah, like that that might be good for the depth. It might show hey all these teams are good, but you need you need one or two to get to that Pac-12 title game and you know at least one. But it'd be great if you had two where it was like hey the winner of this game has a real good argument to get in the playoff. Doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, you know it's not a. It's not a twelve and zero USC against a nine and three Oregon, and it's like, well, USC's got to have it. No, yeah. it's an eleven and one versus an eleven and one, something like that. Yeah, what you would love is to have like the be like either in and five or five and six. Yes, yes. And Where you know, hey, the winner of this game is going to come out of it. Like, all right, they're going to have at least a real good argument to put them in. You know, it's gonna. The committee's gonna have to really like four other teams to, to leave that winner out. Yeah, and it would really if it's help. USC, they'll get in. I was gonna say it would really help that. if that was SC, but yes, yes. I mean, USC. If USC's twelve and one or thirteen and zero, I think they're getting in the playoff. I mean, I'd be shocked if a if a twelve and one Pac twelve champion USC did not make the playoff. I agree. Now a twelve and one Washington. Or twelve and one, UCLA, maybe wouldn't. Yeah, I think um, I think Washington could. I I mean, if if UCLA is twelve and one, and they beat SC, and like right. lo- that loss right. is like an avenged loss to Utah or Oregon, sure. maybe. Sure. I, I mean, it's possible. Like, I, you know, look, who knows? I, I'm just, I'm just saying. I think, I think name recognition matters, and I think you know USC would not get ignored. Whereas the uh, if it's if you're a 12 and one Washington and you're competing with, let's say, you know, one loss Alabama and one loss Oklahoma or something like that, uh, you know, the tough one to win. Mm-hmm. But there's a long, 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 long ways to go. Uh, the, the one thing I think you could say right now is that, you know, the Big 12 looks like it might beat up on itself. The wild week in the Big 12, and it's just getting started. Mm-hmm. So, like, seeing a seeing a Big 12 team with one or no losses seems unlikely. It's not impossible. I mean, Oklahoma State's still unbeaten, TCU, Kansas. But, like, 
seeing somebody emerge from that at 12 and one or better, I don't see it. And so that opens the door. If you're mm-hmm. the Pac-12, like, hey, all right, if we send a 12 and one team, we're a conference champ, one loss or better, hard to turn that down. Yeah, agreed. Because there ain't going to be any Notre Dame, and there ain't going to be any Power Five un- or non-Power Five unbeaten. Yeah. Those are those are already out the door. I don't think, if I'm remembering right, I don't believe there's a group of five team left that's unbeaten at all. I believe that's correct. So there's no Cincinnati. There's no Notre Dame. You know, going twelve and zero or eleven and one. That's already ship has sailed on that one. So conference champs are going to look pretty sweet, BYU? especially if you're one or zero losses. Is BYU defeated? No, they lost to Oregon. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Bad too. I mean, Oregon beat them big. So, I yeah, I think I think there's you know, if, if you're a if you're a one loss conference champ, you're going to have a pretty good argument when it's all said and done. I think. I agree. Hey, look, we're going to be talking a lot broader than ASU moving forward. We probably are. It's more fun. Uh, But we'll be back next week. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben Matt Sportscast.